Matthew chapter 1, uh, verses 18 through 25. It says, this is how the birth of Jesus Christ came about. His mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be with child through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was a righteous man and did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. And all of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will be with child and will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he had no union with her until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. So at this Christmas time, and especially now when we come to our communion time, think about the sacrifice Jesus made on the cross. We uh, focus on it and we remember what it means for each one of us. And I, I find it fascinating that even at Jesus' birth, God's perfect plan was made known. When the angel told Joseph, give your son the name Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. God had a perfect will, and at, Christ, at Christmas time, and when Jesus was born, even then, it very, it very much took a very physical form through Jesus. God's purpose and God's goal has always been to bring his people back to him. And through Jesus is exactly how his perfect will took shape. So even at Christmas time, we remember that God... Sending Jesus was all about his love for us, his goal to sanctify us, to save us, to wipe clean our sins. And I find it fitting that at Christmas time we celebrate around a tree because it was through a tree that God made his will take shape. It was through a tree that our sins were paid for. It was on a tree that all was made known. And it's on a tree that we were saved. So at this time when we come to communion and we remember that even when Jesus was born, it was God's will for us to be saved. Like that's a, that's a reason to find hope at Christmas. So as we take this time and there are plates around the room and we take time to communion, remember that even at Christmas time, God's will through Jesus was that he reconcile us back to him. He wanted to bring us back. He wanted to wipe the slate clean. He wanted to save us because we couldn't do it on our own. We can't do it on our own. So even when Jesus was, even before he was born, even before he was born, God's plan was for us to be saved. So we're going to pray, and we'll take the offerings, and uh, pray we remember that Jesus was how God showed his love in a very physical, real way. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're so good. 
God, even though we don't deserve it, even though we cannot earn it, even though there is nothing we could do to ever fix it, you gave us a way to be saved. You sent Jesus to save us from our sins. You sent Jesus to be the sacrifice to satisfy the punishment. God, it's it's sad that that's the sacrifice, but Lord, you are so good for sending Jesus to be that for us. Lord, help us to remember that Jesus is a, a symbol of your love. He is he is your love in a physical form. Lord, thank you so much for that. And I ask that you uh, remind us of that this Christmas season. Remind us of the hope that is in you through Jesus Christ. Lord, thank you. Lord, I pray as we take these offerings and emblems and I, we remember the hope we have in Jesus. Lord, I pray we remember that this Christmas season. In your son's name I pray. Amen. Verse 26, Luke chapter 1, verse 26. Uh, you can follow along on version as well. And as you're getting to Luke chapter 1, verse 26, uh, we are going through a new series uh, called The Characters of Christmas. And uh, the whole theme of this series centers around Luke chapter 2, uh, verse 10, which says, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And the question that we are going to be asking over the next couple of weeks is, why was this good news a cause for great joy? What was it about this proclamation, this, this you know, message of, of good news? Why was it so great for the people? And last week, we started off by talking about Zechariah and Elizabeth. And we know up to this point, people have been eagerly anticipating, eagerly waiting to hear from God. And not just to hear from God, but they were waiting for a Messiah. They were waiting for God to send somebody into this world that, that would save the people. And we met Zechariah and Elizabeth, and their story was one that it's heartbreaking. They, they were good people. They were godly people. They did everything that God had asked them to do, followed every command, followed every decree, and yet there was this reputation that followed them because they couldn't have children. And even if they wanted to have children, they were just too old, too old. Well, one day we know Zachariah has a face-to-face uh, -face confrontation with the angel Gabriel, the messenger angel, and he tells him, guess what? You are going to have a child. And this child is going to be great joy to you, but not just to you. This child is going to be great joy to everybody because this child that you are going to have is not just going to be an ordinary child. You're going to give him the name John. And the name John is the Lord is gracious. And he is going to be good news, not just for you, but for people, because all people, because he is going to make way for the Messiah. He's going to make way for the one who is going to come. He is going to prepare the people. He's going to teach repentance and tell people they need to be ready for this coming Messiah. And we read that the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth is a story of hope, that the good news brought great hope 
for these people, hope that not only would they be able to shed this reputation of being cursed because they couldn't have a kid, but also this hope of, of someone to come who would save them, who would rescue them from not just the, the people, not just the, the Romans, but they needed somebody to save them from their sins as well. And so that good news brought great joy and great hope to Zechariah and Elizabeth. And so this morning we're going to continue to look at some of the characters of the Christmas story. And this morning we're going to look at two characters who are probably the most well-known outside of the main star of the Christmas story. They're probably the most well-known characters, and that is Mary and Joseph. And Mary and Joseph are such an amazing story, and we'll talk a lot about Joseph, but Mary especially. And you see, Mary is such an interesting person because we tend to do one of two things with Mary. There's two opposite ends of the spectrum when it comes to Mary. We either A, make her a saint and make her the highest of the high in the Christmas story, or we give her no props for what, has, or what she did in her life. And neither of those ends are healthy. But yet there is a middle ground that is healthy, and that's where we need to put Mary and remember how important she is to the story. Because I feel like the story of Mary and Joseph is a story that we can get something from that every single one of us can apply in our lives today. And so we're going to be starting in, in Luke chapter 126. And it starts like this. It says, In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. So in the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, Gabriel comes to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to this virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. He was a descendant of David, and her name was Mary. And already, in just this beginning part, we see how God is not going to follow what the rest of the people would have done. See, the Jews hated Galilee. They did not really care for the Jews in Galilee. They despised the Jews in Galilee, actually, because they are in Galilee because they did not really find them to be kosher because they had relationships with Gentiles. They were closer to the Gentiles than other Jews felt they should be, and they did not care for them. A matter of fact, not only did they not like the uh, Jews in Galilee, they especially did not like the people of Nazareth. They hated Nazareth. Matter of fact, we see this as a stigma with some of the other uh, people in Scripture. For instance, John chapter 1, 45 through 46. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. That just goes to show people did not like Nazareth. And so already God is going to do something in this story that is counteractive to what the other Jews probably would have done. And they show up to this virgin named Mary who's pledged to be married to a man named Joseph. He is a descendant of David. We'll talk about that more here in a little bit. 
And this girl was a teenager. The reason we know that is when you would become, or when you would turn 13, as soon as you would become a teenager, you would be betrothed to somebody. And what this betrothal was, it was pretty much an engagement, but more complex. It was a more complex engagement. To be betrothed to somebody, you weren't just engaged, you were technically married. The only way to break this was divorce or death. So uh, those were the options. So you were technically married. So how did this work? How did this process work? Because this is pretty fascinating. So couples, I, I want to share with you, if you were living in Jesus' day in the Middle East, this is what would have happened in your relationship. So think about that as we go through this. So how would this have worked? Well, the parents of the prospective couple would make arrangements and choose the partner that they would be with. So it would be arranged. This person is going to marry this person, and the parents would make that arrangement. Then the young man would save enough money, and he would choose a mediator. So men, at this time, you would save up, you would work, you'd save money, and you would hire a mediator. And then the mediator would go with you, to, uh, with you and your parents, men, to the house of the prospective bride. So parents would do this for the bride. When they would get there, they would meet them and they would offer a drink. And so they would offer, the, the uh, bride's parents would offer a drink, but they would not take it, men, until they had come to an agreement on the dowry uh, that have, would be set and consent of the bride given. So they would come in, they would offer him a drink, but they would not accept a drink until they came upon an agreed dowry. A dowry was also referred to as the bride's price, and that would be a payment or some property or some service. We see that with Jacob in the Old Testament. He worked for seven years to get the hand of Rachel. And so we see this bride price. They were different things. It could be money. It could be service. It could be any of that. And so they would refuse to drink until the price had been set and consent of the bride given. So, men, what would happen next is the bride's parents would now hire themselves a mediator. And they would get together and negotiations would begin. And they would negotiate back and forth until a price has been set and things have been agreed upon. And when the matter was finally settled, what would happen is the bride's parents would bring out refreshments and they would celebrate the agreement. And everybody would celebrate and this period would last no longer than a year before the wedding. And not only would it not last, or it would, it would last about a year, no longer than a year, but a relationship would not be consummated until the celebration. And so it would be like you were married, except you could not consummate the relationship until after the ceremony. And so that's what it would look like for this betrothal period. And so this virgin is, mar or is married technically, Mary is married. Uh, to this man, Joseph. And then this angel shows up to her and says, Greetings, you who are highly favored, the Lord is with you. This phrase, highly favored, it's closely related to a Greek noun called charis. 
And charis means grace or kindness or favor. You have been given grace. You have been given kindness. You have been given favor. And so he appears, you who are highly favored, you have received grace. You have received kindness from God. And so uh, it continues on into verse 29, and it says, Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. And so we see this kind of normal reaction. First, she hears his words and are kind of troubled at his words and wonders what this could mean. But then the angel tells her, hey, do not be afraid. Of course, this was common phrasing from angels. Hey, guess what? Don't be afraid. Okay. Uh, Don't be afraid. You have found favor with God. You have found grace. You have found kindness uh, in God. And you are going to conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. This name Jesus comes from the Hebrew word meaning Joshua, which means Jehovah saves. Also, while we're talking about the name of Jesus, I feel like we should clarify this right now. Jesus' last name is not Christ, okay? I just want you to know that his name isn't actually Jesus Christ. Christ is a title, Christ is the Greek equivalent to the Hebrew word Messiah, and they both mean the anointed one. So his full title would be Jehovah saves. He is the anointed one. That's who Jesus is. And so you are to give him the name Jesus, meaning Jehovah saves. And this is exactly what he was brought into this world to do. He would save his people. As Cody said, he would bring his people back to God. And it says, uh, he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. Son of the Most High. Stop there for just a second. This is an important phrase, Son of the Most High. This phrase points to his equality with God. To say that he was the Son of the Most God would call out his equality to God. You see, in Semitic thought, a son was seen as a carbon copy of his father. And the phrase son of was often used to refer as one who possessed his father's qualities. And so, if you were the son of, you would possess the same qualities. You would be like your father. So, for me, I would be, you know, son of John, and I would have his qualities. His, uh, I'd be kind of a carbon copy um, in a lot of ways I am. So, uh, but that's, that's what that would mean. You would share those qualities. You would possess that father's qualities. Matter of fact, something that's kind of interesting, this phrase here, son of the most high, Jesus is actually only called this uh, one other time in the New Testament, and he's called this by the uh, demonic in Mark 5, 7 and Luke 8, 28. This is the only time we see that name. But you want to know something that's startling about this whole thing is we ourselves can become sons of the Most High. Have you ever thought about that? We share, you know, this phrase, son of the Most High, means you share the qualities of, you share the attributes, you are a carbon copy of your father. And think about this, you are a carbon copy of your father. 
Luke chapter 6, verse 35, but love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back, then your reward will be great, and you will be children of the Most High, because He is kind to the ungrateful and the wicked. You live like Jesus, you act like Jesus, you do the things that Jesus tells you to do. You, you, we are all children of God. You have those characteristics of God in you. You are a carbon copy of the Father. Think about that. When you start to feel down, think about it. You are a carbon copy. You reflect the Most High. That should make us happy. That should make us joyful to think about the fact that we are carbon copies. We are children of the Most High. We have the same qualities of our Father. And then we see here, it says that the Lord will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. He would be the son of the Most High, but more than that, he would also inherit the throne of his father David. And we see this prophesied in Scripture. In 2 Samuel 7.16, it says, Your house and your kingdom will endure forever before me. Your throne will be established forever. Isaiah 9.7, He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. And the house of Jacob, this symbolizes the nation of Israel as a whole. Jacob was the father of the twelve patriarchs. He was seen as the father of the entire Jewish nation. And yet this coming, this coming Savior, this coming King, he would reign over Jacob's descendants forever. He would be higher than Jacob. What an amazing thing for the angel to tell Mary. Listen, your son is going to be named Jesus, which means Jehovah saves. He is going to be son of the Most High. He's going to be equal to God. And he is going to rule on the throne of David, and he is going to be over Jacob's descendants forever. And I bet Mary is thinking this whole time, I don't, I don't know what to think about all this. Well, tells us in verse 34 kind of what she's thinking. How will this be, Mary asked the angel, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, for no word from God will ever fail. You see, this is a very good question that Mary asks here. Very good question. You, don't, you can't blame her for asking this question. How in the world is this possible? And, and you know, it's interesting. I, I was doing some reading this week, and it, it's funny. There's a lot of people who are kind of curious, why did Zechariah get so much grief from God, but not Mary? Why did Mary not get grief from God? It sounds like it, it, you could kind of read it like it seemed like she doubted. Well, I don't think that's the case. And here's the deal. I think Zechariah, he, he was old enough, right? He had lived long enough. He was a godly man. He was a married man. He had been with Elizabeth for a long time. He knew that God was, or was capable of doing the impossible. And, and you see, Zechariah's problem was is he just doubted. 
He doubted. He, there's no way that this could happen. I'm too old. It's not likely. It's not possible. How in the world could this be? Mary's got a valid question. She's not, she's not doubting, God, you can't do this. She's wondering, how in the world is this possible? She hasn't, or she hasn't consummated her relationship yet. There is no way, really, that this is possible. And so, I think that's the difference between the two. And she asked a good question. She was confused. How in the world could this happen? And so the angel explains, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you so that the, one that, or so the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And you know, there's people who try to dig into this story and look for all the logical, you know, scientific stuff behind it. I don't think that's what God intended for this passage. Here's what happened. It was a miracle. That's all we need to know. It was a miracle. This was going to happen. The Holy Spirit is going to come over you. You are going to have child. And this is a miracle from God. We don't need to dig into how in the world is this logical, the scientific. No, no, that's not what God wanted for this. And if you needed proof, Elizabeth, here's the, here's the thing. Your cousin, Elizabeth, who is said to be too old and can't bear... She too is going to have a child. She is having a child. And she's in her sixth month of pregnancy. And so this angel tells her, you are going to give birth to a child. And again, this was prophesied. Isaiah 7.14, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel. So everything is lining up. And then we come to Luke chapter 1, verse 38. It says, I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your, words to, or may your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. This is how we know she wasn't doubting because she accepts it. I am the Lord's servant. Let it happen as you've told me. May your word to me be fulfilled. And such a profound statement that Mary makes here because this could be a, this is a big, life-altering, life-changing thing that is happening in the life of Mary, and there could be a lot of potential problems that come from this. And so, with that being said, now we're going to focus on Joseph for a minute and turn over to Matthew, Matthew chapter 1. In Matthew chapter 1, verse 18 and following, it says this, This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All of this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. 
When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son and he gave him the name Jesus. And so Joseph hears or sees what is going on and he has in mind to divorce her quietly. He was a noble man and in all honesty, he could have had her put to death if he wanted to. Uh, Leviticus 20.10 tells us that if a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife his neighbor, but the adulterer and the adulteress are to be put to death. They could have put her to death. He decides to instead divorce her quietly, but after he considers this, the angel of the Lord, probably Gabriel, appears to him in a dream and tells him, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. You are to name him Jesus because he will save his people from their sins. And so he does the right thing. He takes her in as his wife. He decides to do what is right. So back to Mary. Back to Mary. This was such a profound statement. I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. Man, she should have lost her husband. Should have. And if it wasn't for the angel Gabriel, she would have. She could have been killed. And yet, look at her response. May your word to me be fulfilled. Which I think is just an amazing thing. Uh, A former professor of mine, uh, Mark Moore, in his commentary on the life of Christ, he says this, first, an adulteress was to be stoned. Even if she was not killed, she would almost certainly lose the man she loved. Furthermore, who wants to marry a used woman? In addition, single women in that culture didn't have a lot of job opportunities. And of course, living in a small community, everyone would know what was going on. It would not take the grapevine long to label Mary with the scarlet letter. This precious and pure young thing would shock everyone with her impropriety. All of this stuff could come because of what she said, and yet she said it. She said it. Let it happen. And so here's what I think is the message from Mary this morning. Here's what I think that we could all take from the story of Mary. The good news brings great obedience. The good news brings great obedience. You see, that's what the story of Mary and Joseph is. The story of Mary and Joseph is a story of obedience. Because let's be completely honest here this morning. There was nothing special about Mary and Joseph. Nothing. Nothing special about these two people. A matter of fact, let's reflect on this for a moment. What makes these two people not special? Well, we've already mentioned the fact that she was from Galilee and Nazareth, which people already did not like Galilee and especially Nazareth, but she was young. She was young. And you might be thinking, what what does that have to do with anything? Well, at this time, everything was about seniority. You know, it was all about seniority. And so, you know, for him to come and tell this young girl, a teenager, 13 years old, that you are going to have a child and he is going to be uh, named Jesus, which means Jehovah saves. 
people probably would have scoffed at this. She's too young. Truth is, whether you want to admit it or not, I think sometimes today there's a stigma about young people. They're foolish. They're naive. They're, they don't have enough life experience. They don't know any better. That was especially the case then. They were young. Then, not only were they young, they were poor. They were poor. Yeah, you know, there's an instance in the story of Jesus when he's brought to the temple, when they present him at the temple, and we see that when they present him at the temple, they offer two turtle doves. And this is important because two turtle doves was what you would offer if you couldn't afford a lamb. And this comes to us from Leviticus 12, 7 through 8, and it says, These are regulations for the woman who gives birth to a boy or a girl. But if she cannot afford a lamb, she is to bring two doves or two young pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. In this way, the priest will make atonement for her and she will be clean. Lamb was the highest of high, and if you couldn't afford that, they, you could afford two turtle doves. Those were the cheapest thing. That way they were good enough for you to offer as a sin offering and as a burnt offering. So they were poor. They were poor. They were young. They were poor. They weren't king or queens. They, they weren't the most educated, probably. They, they weren't the most well-liked. There, there's not really a lot of things special about them. You know, there was other girls. There was other, you know, you know, God could have worked it out any other way to where it could have been anybody else. These people just weren't that special, and yet they have something that stands out, their obedience. It was their obedience that stands out in the story. She is obedient. Let it happen as you have said. May the word be fulfilled that you have said. Hers is a story. His is a story of obedience. She didn't have to say yes. She could have said, please, God, let any, any other way, any other person, please let this be somebody else. Joseph could have said, no, thank you. She probably cheated on me. I'm good. I'm going to divorce her and let it be done with. But they're both obedient. And here's the thing. We are called to be obedient as well. We are called to be obedient to what God calls us to, just as they were. Deuteronomy 5.33 says, Walk in obedience to all that the Lord your God has commanded you, so that you may live and prosper and prolong your days in the land that you will possess. 1 Kings 2.3 says, Observe what the Lord your God requires. Walk in obedience to Him and keep His decrees and commands. His laws and regulations is written in the law of Moses. You see, here's the deal. Maybe this morning you're here and you're thinking, man, I just don't know what God has called me to. I don't know what God's plan is, what God's purpose is in my life. But I can tell you this, this morning, every single one of us in this room are called to the same things. We're called to love people. We're called to love our neighbors. We're called to love those who are broken and hurting. We are called to love the widows. We are called to love the sick and the poor, every single one of them. All of us are called to do that. Regardless of where you feel you're supposed to be, where God is going to have you go and minister, whatever that, we're all called to do the same things. And yet, too often, we get bogged down in what we don't have. 
I don't have a good enough education to do this. I don't have as much money or power to do these things. I'm not as special as others. I can't do these things. What matters is our obedience. But we do have this struggle, you realize, of putting people on a pedestal and thinking that this person is going to be the one to change the world. I'm not a politician. I could never change the world. I'm not a celebrity. I could never change the world. I don't have the platform they have. I could never change the world. And here's what it matters, or here's what it, I think. It doesn't matter if you are the president or you are little Jimmy living down the street. Anybody can love their neighbors. Anybody. You can love your neighbors. You don't have to have doctorates hanging on your wall. You don't have to have all the money in the world to love the person next to you. You don't have to have power or authority to help people in need. No, it doesn't matter how young you are this morning sitting here. Timothy tells us, don't let anyone look down on us because we're young, right? If you're young this morning, you're in college or in junior high, high school, elementary school, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Set an example for people in speech and love. It doesn't matter who you are. You are called to be obedient to the things that God has called you to be in Him. You are a carbon copy of your Father, the Most High. Live like Him. Love like Him. Act like Him. That's what we're called to. On February 4th, 1968, Martin Luther King Jr. He delivered his last sermon at Ebenezer Baptist Church. And in his sermon, he says these words, If you want to be important, wonderful. If you want to be recognized, wonderful. If you want to be great, wonderful. But recognize that he who is greatest among you shall be your servant. That's a new definition of greatness. And this morning, the thing that I like about it, by giving that definition of greatness, it means that everybody can be great because everybody can serve. You don't have to have a college degree to serve. You don't have to make your subject and your verb agree to serve. You don't have to know about Plato and Aristotle to serve. You don't have to know Einstein's theory of relativity to serve. You don't, need to, you don't have to know the second theory of thermodynamics and physics to serve. You only need one thing. You need a heart full of grace and a soul generated by love, and you can be that servant. I think of Paul in 1 Corinthians 1, 26, 29, when he says this, Brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. And God chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. And all of us are called to the same thing. Love your neighbors as yourself. Love those who are broken and hurting. Love the poor. Love the widows. Love the people around you. We're all called to the same thing, and we are called to be obedient. And that is the lesson that we can take from Mary. Be obedient. Mary was nothing special compared to the kings or the rulers of her time, but her obedience 
was key. Because of her obedience, God used her to bring the king of kings into the world. She might not have been as special as the king and the queens, but because of her, she brought in the king of kings. And because of that, our lives have been changed forever. God flipped the whole system upside down. And so here's the question for you. How are you participating in this part of the Christmas story? I'm going to ask the worship team to come up, and as they do, we are in the holiday season. Christmas time is coming near, and everybody's celebrating, but yet we know that there are people around us as we're celebrating the holidays. There are people around us who are far from that. They're not celebrating. They're not rejoicing because so many things are happening in their lives right now. They're hurting. They're, they're wondering, how in the world is this good news of great joy? And so the question is, how are you being obedient this Christmas season? How are you loving on your neighbors as yourself? How are you loving those who are hurting and crying out for help? How are you being a witness? How are you being obedient to those people that you know need to see Jesus? Are you loving your neighbors, your coworkers, your classmates? Are you serving in any ways that you possibly can? Don't sit here and wait for God to say, hey, I'm going to send you all the way over here. While you're waiting to, to figure out what God has called you to do, do the things that God has called all of us to do. Love those people around you. Be the carbon copy of the Most High so that when people see you, they see Jesus and how you live and how you act. And maybe this morning you haven't looked very much like Jesus. I think we all are, are all guilty of that from time to time. I think we're all guilty of sometimes not looking very much like our Father. And if that's you this morning, maybe what you need to do is spend some time just reconnecting with the Father, spending time in prayer. And if that's the case, man, do so. Where you're sitting, if you want to come up here and pray, you can. I'd love to pray with you. Or maybe this morning it's hard to be a carbon copy of the Father when you've never accepted the Father in your life. And maybe you need to make that decision as well. And if that's the case, I'd love to talk with you. The elders would love to talk with you. Cody would love to talk with you. But man, we have an important part to play in the story of Christmas this year. We can be a reflection of our Father in the lives of people. And all we have to do is be obedient. That's all it requires. You don't have to be the smartest person in the room. You don't have to know all of these things. You don't have to have power. You don't have to have money. You don't have, all, you don't have to have any of that to just love on people. And so how can we love on people this Christmas season? This morning, if you have a decision to make, I pray that you would do so as we stand and we sing.